So I'm uh, excited about this passage we're going into today. Uh, tell you a couple reasons why. Number one, we're going to do like line by line teaching, and I haven't done that for a while. I, I think it's called expository pre- preaching. So I'm excited to do that. I'll give you the second reason why I'm excited about explaining this passage. Um, I bet you, I would bet like, if you've never heard this passage before, like, I would give you a dollar. You know, like, I'm just betting that everyone has heard this passage before. Um, It's one of the most well-known scripture passages in the entire Bible. It... How many, how many of you have been to a wedding and you've heard this passage read? Okay. Not all of you. Um, I think because it's been, it's been done so many times that nowadays people want to do actually a different passage for their wedding. That's why. Otherwise, they would choose this one. Um, but what I'm telling you... Um, if you really think about what's being said in this poem. This is one of the most um, convicting scripture passages I've, I've ever read. You know, uh, I, try to, I try to memorize different passages, and then this one, like, whenever I memorize it, oh, it's really powerful. Uh, a friend of mine used to read this passage to his wife, like, every night for a period um, of time. And each time he would read it, she would she would just cry. Every night he would read it, and she would cry. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. Um, so we're in a series we're calling Community-ology. I don't know if you guys have wondered why we called this series Community-ology. Don't you guys want to say it? Like, don't you, you guys, you say the community, say community. Say ology. Now say it together. Okay, that was pretty good. Um, it's kind of hard to say if I don't explain it to you. But it's, it's a series where the theology of the Bible shapes the community of our lives. And so we're calling it communityology. Uh, and so every Sunday we're addressing a particular problem in community. Now, today we're going to go through uh, this passage. It's written to the church in, in, in Corinth, Corinth. Uh, and they were going through some problems. So I'll tell you what, in t- instead of me like naming the problem. I'm just going to read the scripture, and then you tell me if you can kind of like, um, the Chinese word is fa shen, because um, I'm, I'm learning Chinese these days. Um, if you can discover what the problem is on your, for yourself, okay? So here it is. These are the, the famous verses, um, starting in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right. I don't know. Did you you catch the problem that the church was having? But let me first um, give you a, a, a bigger explanation, okay? So from verses 4 to 7, you have a poem about love. Now, romantic people would call it a poem. 
geeky people would call it 15 definitions of love. And if you look at your title, uh, you can find out which one I think we are. Okay, we're, we're the geeky ones, so 15 definitions of love. Um, notice that the first two are positive. Notice that the last four are positive. And right in the middle, right in between, are nine definitions of love that are not positive, they're negative. So, what is going on here? Like, why is Paul, like, being kind of negative right in the middle of this beautiful poem? Is he, is he being a little, like, Asian American? You know, <laughs> like, I can... Why so negative? Like, why the negativity in the middle of the poem? And the answer is this. The list describes his readers. All right? This is everything the church was not or was. This is describing... So, so they were envious of each other. They, they had factions. They were jealous of the abilities of one another. They would boast. They were arrogant. They were rude. I mean, they would have the Lord's... Uh, table and they would use real wine and certain people are getting drunk you know like that's pretty rude they would insist on their own way they were irritable they held held grudges against each other they they even they even took each other to court i don't know if you've read this book they would like they would sue one another and they rejoiced at wrongdoing like one guy one guy slept with his stepmom and some people knew it and I don't know, they were proud of the guy that did that, and they were applauding his behavior. So, okay, so talk about problems. This was a church with, like, every kind of problem, right? Paul wrote those nine with the church in mind. Now, two observations, okay? Can someone tell me who founded this church? Like, maybe it wasn't a very good church planter. Tell me who founded this church. It was who? It was Paul. Paul? It was Paul, yeah, okay. So let me just start by asking anyone here if you've ever been hurt by other people in church. You don't, I mean, have you ever been hurt by someone else who called themselves a Christian? Okay, now, I'm not justifying. This is no excuses. I'm just saying that church is not a museum. It's not just a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, and sinners hurt one another, and it's been going on for a very long time. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. It's here, right there in the New Testament. It happens now, and it's been going on for a very long time um, because we are not just a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. But here's another observation, just to get you going. We read this passage at weddings. This was a poem that was uh, used I mean, it's a poem that we use for the context of weddings, but I just want to point out that this was a poem that was used in the context of relationships at church, okay? Some of us are married with kids, and you're like, you know, that's all the community I need. I don't think Paul thought that was true. One time, Jesus was with other believers, and his biological family was at the door, knocking, wanting to get him to come. And he's with a bunch of believers, and he goes, and he says, you want to know who my family is? It's right here. It's the people who want to do the will of God. It's people who are hungry for the word of God. Um, 
So what does that mean? It means biological family is not enough. It means that church family is really important and these relationships that we have with one another is really important and worth investing in. You know, you're going to, the person, if you believe in Jesus, the person next to you who also believes in Jesus is going to be with you for a very long time, for eternity, whether you like it or not, right? Like, Gordon's going to have to put up with me for eternity, right? Right? And it's just the it's just reality. So let's start investing now. Okay, 15 definitions of love. We're going to go through each definition. Some are going to go real quick. Some are going to go real slow. You all with me? Okay, a little bit more excitement, please. Are you all with me? Uh, Lynn was like, yeah. Okay, thank you, Lynn. Um, First of all, first of all, I want to point this out. It seems like Paul is uh, personifying personifying, you get that word right? Personifying love right here. Like love is normally a verb. I love you, you love me, we love, we love the warriors, right? But right here, love is not a verb, it's, it's a noun. What is Paul doing here? Well, he's, it's almost like in this poem, Paul's not talking about a concept, but a person. It's almost like a, a person walks on stage, you know? He's like, Paul, who are you thinking about when you're writing this poem? Okay, 15 definitions of love. You ready? <laughs> By the way, I made this mistake with the outline, okay? Because it was, it was a lot of definitions. I got confused, right? I don't know what happened, actually. But if you're following along, please cross out number, the one that says um, arrogant, right? I don't know. What, what number is that one? Can you help me? Seven. Please cross out seven and add a part two to number 11. That's not confusing, right? Now that you've crossed out seven and added a part two to number 11, then you can fix the numbers, and then we're all on the same page. Okay, and wow, what a little like intro. Okay, well, wait a second. Before we go, number one, while we're going through these 15 definitions, I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. I bet you the Holy Spirit's gonna highlight one of these for you. Number two, if, if, you, if you're a person who multitasks, I'd encourage you to put each of these definitions in your own words. And that's something you can be doing. It's, it's far better than sleeping. You can, you know, do that. And uh, I bet you that will also be really powerful too. Okay, number one, love is patient. Let me hear you guys say love is patient. Okay, remember a story of a kid in our church who is playing the game and, and the mom was overhearing um, playing this game like, if each family member could be a superhero, who would they be? You ever play that game? Like, yeah, dad will be Iron Man, and you know, like, you know, I would be whatever, right? And then so when the kid's like, oh, I know what mom would be, she would be like the Hulk. And they're like, why, right? Because every time she gets mad, she like turns into a big green monster. And I said, Noel, you shouldn't say that about your mom. It wasn't, it wasn't Noel, it wasn't Noel, but, um, but I really like the story because I can relate. Now, the word for patience, did you know it has no English equivalent to do it justice? Like, there's certain Chinese words, and there's no, no English equivalent. Like, me and Fei, you know, is there, I'm joking. Um, no one got that joke, that's okay. Um, me and Fei means free, so if you're cheap, you get it. Okay, just stop, Andrew. Let's keep going. Okay, 
Um, so instead of patience, the King James Version says, I, I, love this, I love this definition. Love is long-suffering. Love suffereth long. Now, why do you, I don't know. There's something beautiful about that. Love suffers long. The word for patient is macrothumia. Macro means far away. Thumia means anger. Put it together. It's to put anger far away. It's a picture of someone of power standing over another person that he or she has the right to destroy. You have a spear. They are at your mercy, but you don't have the heart to do it. It's King David standing over King Saul while he's sleeping. King Saul who betrayed David. King Saul who is hunting David down like a dog. And David who sneaks into his camp in the middle of the night. David who is standing over King Saul with a spear in his hand. And David's friend saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. And David saying, no, he didn't have the heart to do it. He's like, I'm not going to do that. I won't do that. I won't do that before God. Love is macrothumia. It is to put anger far away. It is having a right to fight back, to talk back, to say, I'm done and I'm through with you, but you don't. You choose to suffer long. Number two, love is kind. Love is kind. Uh, I went to go visit my cousin in Shanghai uh, professor, missionary, deep thinker, and he has a daughter who at the time was 17 years old, and she is ready to date. And so he was telling me about the advice that he was giving her. And, you know, I thought, you know, sage advice, okay? He, he says to me, well, I said, what do you, and he says to me, I tell her that the last thing that she wants to do in life, right, She's like, I tell her this, last thing you want to do in life is marry a jerk. He goes, better to date a jerk and have the jerk treat you like trash, and then you say, never going to do that again. Better to do that than to marry a jerk and be stuck with the jerk for the rest of your life. Anyone here marry a jerk? Raina, don't raise your hand. So then I say, well, then what do you tell her to look for in a guy? He goes, I tell her to marry someone who's kind. Are you kind? Notice that patience is different from kindness. Patience is passive. Kindness is active. Patience is not giving in to anger, and kindness is actively doing good to someone else. Now, when you marry them together, you have something of this indescribable love called agape love. This is the kind of love that Paul is talking about. It's different from all other forms of love. It's actively doing good to those who have actively done you harm. It's giving someone who doesn't deserve it the better choice. It's giving someone the last word in an argument. It's saying something nice about someone who hasn't said something nice about you. Loving someone who loves you is what? It's typical. Everyone does that. But Christian love is tested in how well you love your enemies. And how well you love someone that has just slapped you. Is, some, is loving someone who has disrespected you, who has talked behind your back, who has treated you wrongly, and you feel it. 
It's easy to serve when you feel appreciated. I'm a great pastor when people appreciate me. You know what's really hard? You know what the true test of love? It's serving when you don't feel appreciated. You marry kindness to patience, oh, then someone just walks right on stage. That's not a love that's typical. It's not a love that's earthly. It's agape love. Number three, love isn't envious. All right, that one's self-explanatory. Let's move on. Number four, love isn't boastful. Love isn't boastful. To be boastful is to have an inordinate desire to call attention to oneself. The opposite of boastful is what? Help me. It's humble. C.S. Lewis wrote this. Don't imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Oh, I'm a worm. I'm nobody. I'm not good at that. I'm no good. No. Probably all you will think about him, this person that's humble, is that he seems like a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. Love isn't boastful. Love isn't proud. Love isn't proud. You know what the word for proud here, the word for arrogant here, means puffed up. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the words puffed up. I think about a, uh, a puffed up pastry. You eaten one of those recently? Um, <clears throat> you know, like, like, like an apple turnover with a lot of air inside. You take a bite and you're hoping that the whole thing was dense, but there's got a lot of air in it. You're like, oh, amen. Am I speaking your language? You, you feel me? The puffed up pastry? No, maybe not. Okay, how about, how about this? In the animal kingdom, you have certain animals that can puff up. They can puff up in a certain situation when they're in danger. We're talking king cobra, elephant seal, puffer fish. Ironically, other animals will also do the same when they want to mate. That's, that's a different sermon, right? That's a different sermon. I'm just saying that, right? But it's, you know, so... <clears throat> The point is, you puff up because you want to look bigger than you actually are. So it's a, it's a form of deception. It's like, I'm big, when actually you're not that big. I'm big. No, no, not really that big. And here's the thing. People do the same. We will talk about how good we are, how noble we are, how we would never do such a thing that this other person did. We talk about our accomplishments because we want to appear bigger than we really are. Uh, a friend of mine made an observation. He, he said to me, you want to know if someone you have just met is a graduate of Harvard? He, he goes, this is how you know. You just continue the conversation for five minutes. <laughs> and, um, and you will know. They will find a way to let you know. You know, like sometimes all it takes is five seconds. Like, hi, my name is Tom. I went to Harvard. They're wearing a Harvard shirt, you know. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, like, you know, like, okay, Pastor Andrew, you're kind of being rude to Harvard people. Like, you know, like, um, <clears throat> if I went to Harvard, I would do the same. But, but I'm, just, I'm just, you know, maybe, I don't know who the Harvard people are in the room. So it's okay for me to say that. But it's okay because we'll find out who you are after service 
after five minutes of conversation. So, um, Pastor Andrew, love is not rude. Okay, but uh, one more point. I had a buddy by the name of Spencer, who's a medical doctor, okay? Now, uh, he met someone one day, who, and the, here's how the conversation went. I was listening to the conversation, or maybe Raina listened in and she told me. I don't know. But, uh, so it was like, hey, Spencer, what do you do for work? And Spencer's like, oh, I, you know, I, I work in a rehab. I don't know if you guys know Spencer. Um, this person's like, oh, what do you do? He was like, oh, you know, uh, I, you know, I help people with disabilities. And all of a sudden, it became like a game of 20 questions. Like, are you a physical therapist? Are you a nurse? Are you an occupational therapist? Are you a consultant? Are you administration? It's like, nah, yeah, well, yeah, I kind of, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's kind of, you know, it's medical field. I'm just like, Spencer, tell him you're a medical doctor. Just say it. Love is not proud. Love is not boastful. Love loves to associate with the lowly because that's who you are too, no matter your title. Okay, number six, love is not rude. It isn't rude. Love is not rude. Now, what's rude? Well, the definition of rude is to behave shamefully or disgracefully. It's to behave shamefully or disgracefully. Now, just an aside, is anyone here married? Okay, Um, so, so... Maybe you can relate to this. You save your nice for work and for school. And you've spent all your nice. So when you come home, all you have left is mean. But you justify it. You go, you know, no, when I come home, I just like to, I just like to keep it real, right? Now, this happens to me a lot. I'm busy. Raina is busy. We both come home. We're both tired. We spent it all out there, and we got nothing left for each other. I'm irritable, and she's irritable too. (laughs) Now, both of us can see how rude the other person is, but we don't have insight for how rude we're being. So it's like, you're rude. You were rude when you said that. No, you were rude. You were rude first, but no, but you were rude. Okay, maybe, but you were rude. Okay, but someone needs to think, you know, I'm tired right now. I'm acting rude. I'm sorry. Oh, that's, that's humility. Someone needs to think, you know, maybe she is acting rude, but you know, I bet you it's because she's tired. Someone needs to intentionally hold back at work so they got more to offer when they come back home. Number seven, love is not self-seeking. It does not seek its own good but the good of others. That's worth repeating. Love does not seek your own good, but the good of others. Number eight, love is not irritable. I heard someone paraphrase this one by saying, love has a long fuse. I like that. I want you to imagine a bomb, okay? It's in your heart. There's a bomb. It's ready to go. And the fuse is like two inches long. You light it, right? Okay, but I want you to now imagine you got a different kind of bomb, okay? No, it's the same bomb, but the fuse is long. It's like 20 meters long. You lit it, and everyone's waiting, and it's like, shh, and it's going from the wall, shh, and it's taking a long time before it hits that bomb and explodes. That's, that's what, that, that's love. It isn't irritable. Number nine, love is not resentful. Love isn't resentful. You know how resentment works? When I ask you, when you say, how does resentment work? You know how resentment works? How does resentment work? Thank you, brother. (laughs) 
I feel, I feel loved. Okay, um, resentment is unforgiveness compounded over time. You like that? Resentment is unforgiveness compounded over time. If you were to make an investment in unforgiveness, you know, it's like an equity. You invest in unforgiveness. Over time, it will mature. And the maturity of not forgiving held over time is resentment. It is resentment. I want to kind of show you what this looks like. Chris, can I have you come up here? Um, because when you love me, I want to love you back, man. No. Um, can we give a hand for Chris? Because he's just awesome on multiple levels. Chris was baptized recently. Okay. Chris and I are, are friends in the illustration and growing friends in real life. Okay. Now, this is how it looks like. This is how it, it, it's, it, it's, it begins. Okay. Uh, resentment can start small. All right? It can start as small as a five-pound weight. Now, when I hurt you, maybe it's like a small thing, Chris. It's kind of like asking you, in one sense, that like you're carrying a weight. Okay? So what I want you to do is I want you, in, you know, within the space 30 to like 70 degrees, just to kind of pump that weight. Just pump it. Just pump it. Yeah, flex it. Come on, Chris, now. Give it to me. Okay. I've done all year. Okay, I believe you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, just like that, just like that. Now, now here's the thinking. You're like, okay, I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. I can do this, but it's not very fun. I can keep on doing this. It's a grievance to me. It annoys me, right? No, what, what, what is it? It's like, he did something nice for me. I didn't say thank you. Okay, that, that's, that's one pump, right? Or like, like when he wasn't there, I kind of, kind of insulted like his, you know, something that about, I said something about him, like his green hair. I, like, I don't like his green hair, you know? Come on. No, I really do though. But, but you, so it, it's just small, just little, little, right? Now what happens is, you know, you can do this all day. Mm, I don't know. Okay. What happens like two minutes from now? Okay. What happens two hours from now? Oh, 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 resentment is a grudge, unforgiveness that's held over time, right? So we're investing in this grudge. What's going to happen two days from now? Two days from now. No. Uh, Chris's shoulder is going to feel like it's about to fall off, right? He's going to be in extreme pain. I just ask him, hey, can you just do one more thing and just hold this pen too? And he's going to be howling in pain. Because resentment is a grudge that is held over time. And it becomes something very toxic and very dangerous. And so the point is, really, pretty much as soon as you, you got to let it go. You got you to let it go. Thank you, Chris. It starts with a prayer. It starts small. Lord, help me to let it go. Help me to forgive. Maybe it starts with a hard but necessary conversation. But you got to keep accounts short because if you don't, it's going to feel like your arm is about to fall off. This is really important. I've said enough on this one. Number 10, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. 11, but it rejoices with the truth. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Number 12, Love bears all things, bears 
all things. Love bears all things. Now, um, one time, my mother, I was in the car. I'm driving. My mom calls me up. And she proceeds to give me unsolicited health advice. Have some of you ever been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, she proceeds to give me unsolicited health lecture. Now, if I recall what it was, she was talking to me about the benefits of gargling salt water. Okay? Now, uh, you're like, no big deal. I, you need to know that this is especially painful for me because I've, I've had... Okay, because these lectures have not been good for my relationship with my mother. It hasn't been good for my mom's relationship with her, uh, with my brother. And so I felt like I need to point out the truth to my mom that these lectures are not helpful for our relationship. Yeah, that didn't go so well. So I'm calling Raina afterwards. I'm like, Raina, my mom just doesn't get it. And my, uh, my amazing wife says to me, have you ever heard of the discipline of bearing? I'm like, what? She's like, the discipline of bearing. I'm like, bearing? Bear- bearing children? I know, no, no, I have not heard of this discipline of bearing. And my wife proceeds to explain to me that there is this discipline called the discipline of bearing and is absolutely essential to practice this discipline if you're going to love older people well. Because when you get older, it's harder for people to change. And when you get older, people, older people just kind of tend to say it like it is. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and so sometimes to speak the truth in love, sometimes, especially, I mean, sometimes you got to speak the truth in love. And then sometimes, especially for older people, younger people just have to bear it. You smile. You joke around. You say, thanks for the health tip, mom. I mean, you got to bear it. Either that or you gargle salt water. Which one? Love bears all things. 13. Love believes all things. You're like, believes all things? Wait, wait, wait. Is love gullible? Believes all things? Okay. Let me give you an example. Person shows up 10 minutes late to work. You're expecting them to be on time. They're 10 minutes late. There has now been created something called a knowledge gap. How do you fill in that knowledge gap? Traffic bad? The person just lazy? Person have a different take on time? Love fills in the gap with trust. It believes all things. You're like, wait, 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 is that being naive? Well, let me ask you, what if you were the late one? What if you were being late? And I were to ask you, why is the reason that you were late? I am, I am like, I, I would bet you that you wouldn't say, well, it's because I'm lazy. You would probably give your explanation compassion, belief in your humanity. Do the same to other people. Fill in those gaps with trust. It's what you would want them to do for you. Number 14, love hopes all things. Love hopes all things. Number 15, love endures all things. The word for endure is hupomeno. Hupo means under, meno means remain, put it together, and it's to remain under affliction and to be steadfast. It's to be like, I'm getting squeezed, but you know, I'm not going to take any shortcuts. I'm not going to take any shortcuts. Okay. Uh, 
Great job, guys. That was all 15 definitions. Now, I, I hope this has been a feast for your mind. What I'd like you to do right now is I'd like you to take a look at the list, the list of 15. I'd like you to choose one that stands out to you. And with the aid of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you just like 30 seconds right now. I just want you to put one of these in your own words. And you can just go ahead and do that now. I'm actually going to just pause and just give you a moment to do that. Pick one. Talk to the Holy Spirit for a few seconds. Put it in your own words. See what happens. Let's go. Let's go ahead and do that. Okay, that's about 15, uh, 30 seconds. <clears throat> 15 definitions of love. I would like to highlight two. Not all 15, just two. Right now you're talking to Holy Spirit, you're asking the Holy Spirit to highlight one. I'm going to highlight two for you, okay? I want to show you what it looks like. The scripture says, Love is not resentful. Love is not resentful. Love does not hold on to grudges. It lets it go. I'd like to show you the beauty of what this looks like. Uh, I want to show you a video from an interview from the Arabic language TV network. It's SAT 7. Don't get excited. It's not that kind of SAT. Um, A reporter is interviewing a a young Iraqi Christian girl, and she's living in a refugee camp. Her family has been displaced by ISIS, so they've lost their home, everything familiar, everything comfortable. They've just been stripped from this family and from this little girl, and so she gives this interview. Pretty soon after the interview, it just goes viral. Now, I think it went viral because in the Middle East, the Middle East is just not a place that's, it's just not a place that's known for forgiveness, Uh, Middle East is not a a place that's known for letting it go. So I want you to watch this video. You're going to see a reporter. You're going to see a little girl. But I want you to see that the video is also pointing to a person that you cannot see that's walking through this video. So take a look. واحنا موجودين هنا في المخيم لقينا بنوتة فوجئتني بتقول إنها بتفرج على ليش هيك واسمها مريم. زيك يا مريم. زينة أنت كيفك؟ أنا زي الفل، أنت بتتفرجي عليه شيك فعلاً؟ أيوه حبي سات سيفن كيدز؟ إيه أنت فين بلدك؟ جاي من قراقوش برضه؟ أيوه من قراقوش أنا طيب أنت عندك 10 سنين مش كده؟ أيوه طيب قولي لي أنت بقالك قد إيه هنا في المخيم؟ أربعة أشهر إيه أكتر حاجة أنت حاسة إن هي كنت بتحبيها في قراقوش مش موجودة هنا دلوقتي في المخيم؟ كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا قصدك ايه يعني ايه الله سترنا يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش طيب انت حاسه قد ايه ربنا بيحبك صح ايوه ربنا بيحبنا كلنا مو مو بس انا كل الناس يحبوهم الله وانت شايفه ان ربنا كمان بيحب الناس اللي ممكن تبقى اذتك وزعلتك ولا لا؟ يحبوهم بس ما يحب الشيطان طب انت شايفه انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى 
خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم طيب انت مش بيجي لك وقت كده تبقي زعلانه بتحسي ان يسوع سابك مثلا لا مرات يعني ابكي على البيت مالتنا ابكي على قرقوش بس ما ازعل انه الله يعني سابنا من قرقوش يعني رحنا من قرقوش اشكره لانه سترنا وجابنا لنا حتى اذا متبهدلين هنا بس الحمد لله الله سترنا انت علمتيني حاجات كتير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا و... علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حس... حسيت بمشاعري <تصفيق> وانت عارفه ان يسوع مش هيسيبك ابدا صح ما راح يسيبنا اذا مؤمنه وثابته بينه ما راح يسيبني طيب قولي لي انت فاكره ترنيمه او فاكره حاجه لما بتبقي قاعده لوحدك كده بتحبي ترنميها او تكلمي يسوع بيها ولا مش فاكره ولا حاجه خالص عندي ترى عندي ترانيم بتحبي تقولي اكتر واحده انت بتحبيها تبقى صغيره وقصيره بس نسمعها منك ايه رايك اكو واحده There's something about this little girl and her heart, and you just, you hear, it's beautiful. Love does not hold resentment. It's beautiful. And I would say that this story is not just pointing to a concept. It's pointing to a person. Can you see the person that walks through, that walks through that story on stage? Uh, I'll, I'll illustrate something else for you. The scripture says, love is patient, love is kind. It isn't self-seeking, it endures all things. I'd like to tell you the story of Robertson and Muriel McQuilkin. They were a very godly couple. They raised uh, six children. They served 12 years as missionaries in Japan. And when they came back to the U.S., Robertson became the president of Columbia Bible College. Uh, one day during a trip to Florida to visit some friends, Muriel, who loves to tell stories, she began to tell a story that she had just finished telling a few minutes earlier. And so Robertson goes, honey, you, you just told that story. And, she, and, you know, she laughs and she just keeps on going on. And, and as the next few years went by, Robertson watched as this fun, creative Loving partner slowly faded away. Uh, she had Alzheimer's. Now, he was the president of a school. The school needed him 100%, and Muriel started to need him 100%, and so he was torn. And so um, I want you to listen to a uh, talk he gave. Uh, actually, it was a speech. Uh, this is from Robertson. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy, 
when with me and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Man, I've seen that video so many times, and pretty much every time I see it, I cry. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's beautiful. For someone to love another person like that is beautiful. But here's my point. It's not just pointing to a concept. It's pointing to a person. Love is patient. Love is... Paul was thinking about someone. There was someone that just walked out on stage. I mean, even when you read Ephesians 5, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I'm not talking about a man and a woman and their love. I'm talking about Christ and the church. That is pointing to a reality up there. This beautiful story is pointing to another story. The Iraqi girl who forgave is pointing to another story. This is the story that it's pointing to. The Bible says that God is love. That 2,000 years ago, love walked among us. God's son became a human being. When he was with us, he said incredible things, and he did incredible things. And when he spoke, people wouldn't just say, oh, wow, that he was eloquent. They would say, wow, he was powerful. Like, we haven't seen anyone speak with such authority. And he did incredible things. He healed a man born blind, born blind. He raised a little girl who had just died back to life. He raised a good friend of his who was dead for three days. He was like wrapped like a mummy and came out of the grave. But perhaps the most remarkable thing about him was the way that he loved. And he showed people the fullest extent of his love by sacrificing his life on a cross to turn away the wrath of God for our sins. After soldiers had nailed spikes through his hands, he prayed for them. He said, Father, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And even though he could have said a word, just a word, and thousands of angels would have come to his rescue, he never said a word. He took the cross, he took the pain, he stayed, he endured it, he endured it. Love bears all things. Love himself bears all things. This is a love 
That's worth singing about. One person put it in song, My Lord, what love is this that pays so dearly that I, the guilty one, may go free. Amazing love, oh what sacrifice, the Son of God given for me. What love is this? What love is this that pays so dearly? Paul, I bet you were thinking about a person when you wrote this, weren't you? And I imagine Paul going, of course I was. Of course I was. And that person just walks out on stage. So let's just name it. Paul, let's just name it. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. I I wanted us to have a time to, to pray. So would you stand and would you pray with me? And I want to invite the worship team just to come forward and just to play some music in the background. It's not enough just to listen to God's word. We want to create a time to respond. We want to invite the Holy Spirit to just go deeper with us. And so if you're willing, we can do that in prayer. And so would you just pray with me? Now, one thing I'd like you to do is is grab your bulletin and look at the list of 15. And this is going to be an exercise in prayer. I want you to read that list. But instead of the name of love, instead of the name of Jesus, I want you to actually read it with your name. Okay, so for me, I'm going to say Andrew. And for you, you're going to say Brian, or you're going to say Lynn, or you're going to say Raina. And uh, we might have different versions of this, but I think you'll get the pacing. What matters is that we're praying this in our hearts. So my voice will be louder because I'm mic'd, and then you can just join with me. I'm going to say Andrew. Now, let's pray this. Um, it goes like this. Andrew is patient. Andrew is kind. Andrew isn't envious. Andrew isn't boastful. Andrew isn't proud. Andrew isn't rude. Andrew isn't self-seeking. Andrew isn't irritable. Andrew isn't resentful. Andrew does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Andrew rejoices with the truth. Andrew bears all things. Andrew believes all things. Andrew hopes all things. Andrew endures all things. Now, in response to this church, I think there's two ways we can respond in prayer. The first one is repentance. Because maybe, like, maybe you're like me, and when you're reading that, you're like, I'm not any of those. And I fall so short. And my heart is so small compared to the heart of agape Jesus' love. And I think that is a really appropriate prayer. Maybe God is highlighting something in your heart. You just want to confess it. And so now is the time for you just to confess, just to say, God, if you feel that, you can say, God, I just, I've fallen short. 
Maybe God will bring someone to mind and you're just going to think about that person or maybe a group to mind. And so would you just pray with me a prayer of repentance and a prayer of confession? And you can pray out loud and you can just join me and we'll all pray individually. I think there's another way that we can pray, which is also a prayer of hope, also a prayer of faith. Like when you put your name in there, it's the 